0: Well, good morning everybody. I'm so glad that you're here. My name's Ben. Um, welcome to Four Corners Church. For our guest, a special welcome to you. Please come back next week when we have our food truck rally. It's going to be a lot of fun and if you're a person who calls this church home, this is your opportunity to invite people. I'm seated at, uh, seated at a table today because last week we started talking about the power of a table and the important conversations that can happen around a table. I had several this week. Um, this week Jill and I went Uh, for dinner with a couple and for about two and a half hours we had some decent food but more importantly and more memorable we talked about the things that God was doing in their lives and in our lives it was just incredible what can happen it's incredible what can happen at a table when you get together I talked last week and I want to remind you about a couple places in the Bible where tables are mentioned Psalm 23 the psalmist, David, says that the Lord will prepare a table before you. And when God prepares a table before you, it doesn't matter who's around. You can feast, you can be at peace, you can, you can thrive, even if it's in the presence of your enemies, David says. It's pretty incredible. Jesus met with his disciples around tables. Important miracles happened around food and tables. And so it should be no surprise to you that when it comes to our 15th anniversary, um, we're going to invite people to sit around tables with us and have conversations and get to know them. And we believe the conversations that happen around a table at a food truck, maybe between you and a friend or you and a friend you make that day, can be the beginning of something incredibly powerful. I know that personally, because it was literally around my kitchen table that the dream for this church began. It's where the conversations that ultimately became Four Corners Church happened. We sat around a kitchen table and we dreamed a very simple dream. What would it look like if God would bless us and use us to create a church? And we said said it a lot of different ways, but one of the phrases that comes to my mind is, what would it look like if God would bless us and use us so that we could create a church where we'd love to invite our family and friends to be a part? And we knew that when we invited them, what would be core to their experiences is they would feel welcomed right away. So from the very first days of this church, we decided that we wanted to, at the minimum, there may be a lot of things we don't do great, but at a minimum, we wanted people to have a friendly face that would greet them when they came in the door. And we wanted people to genuinely be excited and glad to see them. Because we thought if God would bless us enough and use us enough to start a church, and if we were at all willing to invite our family and friends, we didn't want them to come to a place and have an experience where they felt like maybe they were intruders on a a family conversation. That's the way my church was. It was like we all knew each other so well. And if you were a guest, you didn't know the names. You didn't know our insider lingo. You didn't know kind of what we were talking about. And we weren't really all that sensitive to guests who came in. And so if you were a guest in my church, you felt like the odd man out. You felt like you had two thumbs or something. It was kind of odd. So we thought, well, what if we create a church where there could be a welcome? And what if... What if not just at church, what if people really got together and built relationships and built friendships? So at a kitchen table. We started talking and dreaming like that. And then all through the last 15 years, we've done some incredible stuff. The welcome has been there. God has used us in powerful ways. But part of the secret sauce of any good church is, is that good church doesn't just happen in a room like this. Good church happens often, literally, Around a table where people get out of rows, they often sit in circles, and they just talk. They let down their guard, and they begin to digest, sometimes verbally, the things that are going on in their life, and even the things they've experienced in church life. So part of the secret sauce of our church is that has happened for a long time. It happens all the time. If you're a guest today, you may not know this, but for instance, in, in your message notes, the, the part where we're uh, revealing the small groups for this semester, uh, there's a group of men who get together on Friday mornings at 6 a.m. and they talk about the sermons that happen here and how it intersects with their life and they share their lives and they share their concerns and they share their joys. And for those men, they don't just have a church they go to. They have friends at church. It wouldn't be a stretch to say that in some... True way they have family at church. Church is a family for them. It's a pretty powerful thing when it's not the church you go to, but it's the place where you meet with friends, you do life, you have some common experiences, you work together to do some great things that are bigger than you, and you still carve out time to get together and hang out. That's why we launch small groups. Three times a year, and you are in the good position today to be here at week number one of a three-week launch. We're going to do it this week, next week, the week after, so that our guests can come be a part, and today, you have an opportunity to sign up for a small group, and maybe while I'm talking, you look inside the message notes there, and you transfer the number of the small group to Next Step E on your Connect card that you were told about earlier in the service from Pastor Joseph. And then you put it in the offering bucket when it comes by. We send that information. You sign up. Very simple, kind of one step and follow through, and you're done. I want to talk to you, though, today about a few more things that can happen because of a table conversation. It's potent when you let down your guard. Often it happens around food, and you just talk about life. So when Jill and I were having dinner this week with this couple, uh, we were just sharing stories of the goodness of God, and we left so encouraged. I was reminded of a story from my childhood that I shared with them I want to share with you because it relates to our topic today. Years ago, um, Jill and I were living in Florida, and uh, we loved living in Florida except for the heat and the bugs, and we were so far from family, and so we prayed that one day God would take us out of Egypt, and he did. He brought us here. It It was great. It was wonderful. But while we were there, we did get to enjoy it. So we had the beach, and we lived an hour from from our driveway into Disney in an hour. We had season passes because Florida residents got great prices back then. It was incredible. Well, my mom had never been to Disney World, never. Like, we never went as a family. We always took our vacations, went to grandma's, which wasn't much of a vacation. It seemed to be part therapy, part fight. It was incredible fun. But uh, at some point, when Jill and I got married, we decided we didn't want to just do that. We wanted to do some stuff. And so we had this good fortune of inviting my mom down and taking her and my daughter, we only had one kid at the time, to Disney World. And we did it, man. You know, soup to nuts. We maximized that time. And we ended up having lunch, for instance, at Cinderella's Castle. It was was incredible watching my wife, my daughter, my mom sit there. Cinderella comes by. We got the pictures, the whole bit. But that's not the most memorable part of the day. The most memorable part of the day is we're in line at the Peter Pan ride, all right, which is always a very long line, very long line, and it's one of those where you kind of switch back and forth in the turnstiles, in the queue line, right, and so I tell my mom, hey, I got to go to the restroom, I got to jump line, go to the restroom, so like hold my spot, so it's Jill, my daughter, my mom, so I, I go to the restroom, I come back a few minutes later. And when I come back and cut in line, my mom has struck up a conversation with the guy in the queue line that she keeps passing. Like you get like 30 seconds and then you move and then you come back around and you get like 30 seconds. You yeah, you guys have done this, right? You know what this is like. And he, here's what I hear my mom say. And it's a phrase I'd heard her say dozens of times before in other situations in public. I hear her say to this guy that she's been having this 30 second on and off conversation with. This phrase, is that the church where you met Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Now, that doesn't mean anything to you necessarily. But what I knew instantly is that my mom was full on in her witness about Jesus mode. I knew that phrase because that was the turning point in every conversation my mom tried to make go there. When she wanted to share Jesus with somebody, it would start like this. It's a beautiful day here in Florida, I would imagine that's how it started, because it was. Are you having fun? All your kids are so cute. I don't know how it started. It was always innocuous, it felt like, but my mom had this thing that would just bubble out of her whenever she'd have a chance to just talk casually with people. It happened at our dinner table all the time where they would invite friends over, and at some point in the conversation, the conversation would turn from pleasantries to some conversation about something that was happening at my parents' church. So you'd be talking about your kids, maybe talking about Disney World, your favorite ride. And all of a sudden, my mom would find some way to say, well, at our church, we talked about this. Now, often the connection points weren't obvious, but it didn't matter to my mom. Her whole goal was to get to the conversation so that she could share Jesus with someone. I saw this dozens and dozens of times. So she would take the conversation from some innocuous beginning to something that happened at church, and then she would ask the very simple question, do you go to church anywhere? Now at this point, you got three or four or eight or 12 or 20 minutes, depending, uh, just pleasantries, and it never came off stark or odd or weird. It wasn't like that. It wasn't like... It wasn't like Saturday morning, you're trying to rest, and somebody knocks at your door, and you open the door, and they say, hey, we'd like to share with you our tracks. Can we talk to you? It wasn't like that kind of weird. And it wasn't like when you've struggled with your diet, and you meet a CrossFitter, and uh, they want to share with you. It, was, it wasn't like that, right? So what like anything you know, like hyper. She would just casually turn and say something like, you know, do you go to church? And they, the answers were always kind of the same. It was always kind of like, well, kind of. Or yes, but then if you'd unpack it, it was like Christmas, Easter stuff. So again, I wasn't there, but I know exactly how this conversation went with this guy. In fact, I asked mom about it later just to verify. And sure enough, she had done the whole, is that where you, you know, uh, do you go to church? he's like, yes. So then he names this church. And so my mom says, well, what was your favorite thing about that church? And it's the music, it's the preaching, it's the nice people, it's the kids. from Answers varied. And then she would turn the question to Is that the place where you met Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Now that's an interesting question. And depending on a person's background and experience, the conversation would change at that point. That's where a certain, I don't know, soberness and seriousness, although not dark and and solemn necessarily, Still kind of upbeat, and people would answer a variety of different ways. Yes. And if they said yes, my mom would say, well, Tell me about the story of how you met Jesus. And minimally, she'd leave encouraged. And if they said no, my mom would say typically, Well, where did you meet Jesus? You see what she's doing here? She's just begging that question, right? And again, it, a lot of you met my mom, but if you met my mom, she never met a stranger. And so she didn't have that brash uh, brash uh, personality that just rubbed people wrong. People enjoyed this conversation. When I came back from the bathroom, jumped back in line in the Peter Pan ride, this guy was 100% engaged, and he was as eager to re-meet my mom in the cross of the lines as she was to meet him. So this guy says, you know, it's been a long time since I've really engaged. This is about the conversation point where I come in. Since I've really engaged Church. And so my mom does her classic. You know, it's not about the church you attend. It's not about being a member. It's not about checking a box or shaking somebody's hand. It's about a relationship with Jesus. And I'm not kidding. I, I'm not, my wife was here. So right there in the line, here's what I thought was going to happen somebody's going to start playing the organ. They're going to start singing just as I am. <laughs> and we're going to have an altar call right here in line. Now, that didn't happen. But, there was like this holy moment right there in the middle of the line. And the guy, I couldn't tell if he was about to cry or if he was just, just in it. And, he, and we're about to get on line. And he, he basically says, mom, my mom, I really enjoy this. You know, when I, when I get home, um, we're going to reengage our church. And my mom says, I'm going to pray for you. And then she says, this is my son. He's a pastor. He'll pray for you too. <laughs> and I'm like... I'm the, I should be doing that work. I'm the pastor. What are, what are you doing? Now, in my, I, I was fortunate to have a mom who had such a heart like that. And while that one happened in line at Disney, I saw it happen over and over and over again. Where my mom believed that God put her on earth in part to raise a family, to be a wife, but ultimately to share Jesus. And there's a hundred ways that can be done. But one of the most powerful ways it gets done is when people get serious about trying to help their friends have an encounter with Jesus. And it's an interesting dynamic because it's not something that can be forced. You can't make somebody have an encounter with Jesus. It feels an awful lot like trying to, some of you have done this before, trying to arrange people to Like go on a date, fall in love, you know, like you know this great girl and you know this great guy and you want to get them to, it's kind of like that. And so the best you can do really is maybe arrange a date, but the rest is up to them. I mean, the chemistry's got to be there. They got to do the thing. They got to engage. If they don't engage, maybe they go on the date, but it's a total bust. They got to, and when I think about our big day next week, the best language I have for that is is we're arranging dates. From people who used to be in an active relationship with Jesus, but they've stepped away for a while. To people who have no idea what life with Christ can be like. To people who are hurt in the church, and they've kind of given up, and they've disengaged. Uh, To people who are willing, just don't seem to have the time, but when a friend says to them, this is where I go, and we're having an event like this, it speaks to something they already want to do, especially those who have kids, and they were raised in church, but maybe they don't go to church anywhere else, and they kind of know they should have their kids in church. Believe it or not, that's how a lot of you got here. You kind of knew you should raise your kids in church. And so you came, and people here were generally friendly, and we weren't totally boring, and it was all for the kids, and then all of a sudden, at some point, a few weeks in, you realized, It's kind of for me, too. That's how it happens around here a lot. It can happen a variety of different ways. But I got a question I want to ask you right now if you want to follow along your message notes. It goes like this. Who do you know that would enjoy being surrounded by people who like them and who are for them? Who do you know that would like to spend a little bit more time Surrounded by a group of people who like them and are for them. Because that's the people, just like that, who you should think about inviting next week. In fact, at any point in the life of our church. These are the kind of people who I want to get around a table like this and have conversations with. And just talk about life and see what's going on. And it's amazing. How if you listen long enough, how the important things that are going on in their life will find, them, uh, find their way to the surface of the conversation. Now you don't have to listen all that long, you just have to listen intently. It'll be their marriage, it'll be their work, it'll be some disappointment or some hope and expectation. It's always the same really, even though it's very different by person. It's that thing that has their heart's attention. And often they have no idea how much God cares as much about that subject as they do. In fact, probably more. And they often haven't thought for a long time, if ever, what difference Jesus can make in their life. And that's the whole reason we started this church. That we could get together and create a group of people who would say, no matter where you're starting from, if you walk in, you're going to be welcomed because we like you. We want to be around you. You don't have to agree with us. You don't have to buy our theology. You don't have to dress like us, talk like us, do life like us. just showing up, and we like you. We'd like to have you in our circle in a, in a real way. And then when you're here, we're going to regularly, not all the time, but regularly move the conversation to something that's a little bit more important than just how'd your sports team do. A little bit more important than just talking about the kid's sports schedule or the school routine. On occasion, we're going to actually talk about a handful of things that are important. Things that you don't really get to talk about much In culture at large, maybe you have a good friend who you can talk about stuff with, perhaps. Most folks don't. But in church, we want to make it normal for people to have conversations where they left the conversations feeling encouraged. There's not enough encouragement in this world. Just isn't. So we wanted to make it not weird to look at somebody and say, you're good at that. You should press in on that more. Man, when you talk like that, we need more of that in this world. We wanted encouragement to be a mark of this place because we don't think there's enough of that. And and, and we wanted people specifically to talk about the things that really matter the most, like your family. Like, how is your marriage doing? And what would it look like if you stopped trying to fix your spouse? And candidly, they probably need fixing. Most of us do. But what if you stopped worrying, and what if you spent a time thinking about how you could become a better wife or a better husband? What, like, what if we changed the conversation? I wonder what that might do in a family. And what if, we, what if we talked about, since it's overwhelming for all of us, how that while there's no perfect parent, there are a handful of things you can learn and experience in your home that doesn't guarantee perfection with parenting, but it might tip the scales so that you don't spend quite as much money on therapy for your children. That was our hope all along. I'm joking, right? But clearly that's a little painful, isn't it? Nobody chuckled, or I don't know how to deliver a punchline. I can't tell. One or the other. Right? But what if if we talked, what, what if on occasion we talked about the most intimate subject in the world, and it's not what you're thinking, it's money. What if we talked about how to not be a slave to your money but tell your money where to go and what to do and then what if we talked about the most important question of all like what's going to happen when you die what legacy will you leave what will people say and ultimately what's it going to be like when you breathe your last breath so what if we create a place where that would be normal and by the way We didn't make any of that up. We really just tried to follow the guy that started it to begin with. So I want to direct your attention to Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. Here's what our Bible says. From that time, Jesus began to preach. By the way, from that time, John the Baptist, who had been a very famous religious figure, had just been put in jail. And the moment John the Baptist is put in jail, and it's got the attention of everybody in the community... Jesus really steps to the forefront. People start turning to Jesus, asking him the questions uh, that they were asking John, having conversations with him that they've been having with John. Jesus steps up in a big way, and he says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. The word repent is unfortunately a, a negatively impacted word. It has negative connotations too often, but it's really a beautiful phrase. It simply means you're going in one direction, turn and go in another direction. To return home. To stop going in that way and go another way. And so Jesus' basic message was stop going that way and start going in the way of God's kingdom. Stop going that way and start going in the way of God's kingdom. The whole idea here is that if God has a kingdom and if he's a good father... And if he loves us infinitely, and if he's created our identity, and it doesn't matter what lies have been spoken over us, what God says about us is true, then getting closer to the kingdom of God, stop going that way, get closer to the kingdom of God is good for everybody. So let me ask you the same question a different way that I asked you earlier. Who do you know that needs to have what God says about them be the loudest voice in their life? You're loved your purpose your identity is one of value and significance you haven't made too many mistakes my grace is sufficient to cover it all there's no such thing as too many fresh starts you're not too late these are the kinds of things that populate what the kingdom of god delivers to its inhabitants Who do you know who needs to hear things like that? Because those are the kinds of people we want in our church. You know why we want them in our church? Because we were those kinds of people who needed to hear those kinds of things. So we got together and we learned more and we studied and we looked and we prayed together. And honestly, we sat around tables and we talked a lot. Who do you know? Who that would benefit them. Like they would have joy. They wouldn't be our project. Uh uh. They would be a part of our lives and they would just enjoy doing life with people who aren't perfect, but regularly turn away from that and turn towards God. Look at what happens next in our passage. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Look at this phrase, come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And then at once they left their nets and followed him. There are a handful of stories where Jesus extends an invitation to people, and they say, yes, this is one of them. He simply says, come, come with me, come with me. And I love this phrase, come follow me. So about three months before we launched, we decided that in our church, there's a lot of things we could call ourselves. We could call ourselves Christian. We could call ourselves um, evangelical. We could call ourselves church people. But we thought maybe the best moniker for identifying people who are on board with this thing of starting a church where it would be normal to invite your friends, where they could be encouraged and have important conversations, the best moniker for ourselves would be Christ follower or follower of Jesus right from this passage. Jesus said to Simon and his brother, come follow me. And that's the call I heard. I My situation was different. I wasn't walking by a lake fishing. But I heard Jesus say to me in a tangible way as a kid, and it's taking me a lifetime to unpack its implications, come follow me. And I started to follow. I didn't instantly become perfect. I didn't instantly turn into an angel. Nothing like that happened. Got a long way to go. But I turned from going my own way, and I turned towards the kingdom of God, and I started following the one who was leading me. And again, who do you know? Who do you know that could benefit from turning towards the one who can lead them into all the things that God has for them? His name is Jesus. And so at our church, we regularly talk about him, and we regularly talk about the importance of knowing what Jesus is really about, because there's a lot of misconceptions out there. There's a lot of things done in the name of religion that are just as far away from the kingdom of God as possible. And yet they're packaged in a way that they look similar and it's very confusing. And so people out there who've tried religion, who've tried church, have a lot of ideas about what it means to come and sit at the table with Jesus or to follow Jesus. They have a lot of ideas. And at our church we thought, what if we got really serious about trying to keep it simple and clean? And we talk about the most important deep stuff in the world, but use simple everyday language to do that. What if we didn't talk over people's heads we just talked about real life in a real way? What would that look like? Might we be able to strip away all that gets associated with religion and just talk about following Jesus? So here is something we tried to strip away. Religion says, change and you can be a part of us. But that's not what Jesus said to Simon and his brother. He just said, hey, start following me right where you are start following me. So what if we just took that up and we said to people, all right, maybe you need to change. Maybe there's some stuff in your life, but in your first several steps, we're gonna let God do that. But in your first several steps, we just want you to start following him and we wanna do it with you. Which means if you can follow him and we're following him, you're actually with us and we'll claim you early. Like before you're cleaned up. So Let me tell you what that means practically. You might be sitting around a person right now in this room who isn't that far in their journey with Jesus. And they may not look like what your definition of a Christian should look like. And that's okay. It really is. Because they're following. And you're following. And when you're following and they're following, you're actually together. So rather than just pretending that's a theological statement, what if we just embraced it and said, hey, you want to follow? You want to consider following? You can come and be a part of us. Religion says, change and you can join us. But the truth is, is Jesus says, if you join us, you're going to change. And it's going to be good. And you're going to like what I do with your life. Because I only have good things for you. I only meant good for you from the beginning. I'm actually going to tie you into your destiny. I'm actually going to bring your identity to the surface, who you really are. I'm going to strip away lies. And you're going to live true freedom. You're going to know the truth. And it's going to set you free. Religion says change and we'll accept you. And Jesus says, no, no, no. I accept you. And when I do, watch what I can do with your life. Religion says, follow religion because it works for you. It's the opiate of the masses. You need it to get by. It's a crutch. Hey, if it works for you, who am I to judge? That's what religion says. But Jesus says something very different. He says, follow me Because I work for you. Follow me because I am for you. It's not just a utilitarian tool that we have to get by. No, it's a relationship of somebody who cares deeply for us, and his name is Jesus, and he has a family. They do it imperfectly, but they'll love too, and when they do, it's a beautiful thing. Religion says, it really depends on what you do. You know how that works. You do enough good, you overcome all the bad you've done. It's kind of like spiritual math. It's the law of averages. We're playing a statistical game. But Jesus says, depend on what I did for you. And I'll wipe away all that other stuff and give you a fresh start. Not just once, but over and over and over again. It's the scandal Of grace. It's not fair. And so when you're watching somebody else receive God's grace that you don't think deserve it, it's very upsetting until you look in the mirror and realize, oh my goodness, my sin list is different, but thank God God doesn't deal with fairness. Because if he did, I'm in trouble. And that's what makes us humble around other people's mistakes and their sins and their failures. It's not because we love their failures It's because we realize we have it too. Religion says the goal is to appear to be a good person. I have a couple of family members who uh, identify as atheistic or agnostic. And uh, they love religious people. They love to be neighbors with religious people. One of my uncles manages a few people and he loves having religious people because they're good people. And I get that. We should be. But that's not what Christianity says. Christianity doesn't say the goal is to help you appear like you're a good person all put well together. The goal is actually to be honest about your failures and your faults, your hopes and your dreams. And watch what God does with somebody that comes honestly before them. Not propping up their spiritual mass Not pretending to themselves and to others they're at least better than the next guy because you can always find somebody that you're better than, right? You know that, right? That's why we watch reality television. You can always find somebody you're better than. None of that matters to Jesus. What gets the attention of Jesus, what helps you turn and go in the direction of the guy that leads you towards the kingdom of God is a certain honesty and transparency. That's what does it. And when that's elevated in a community, People can take off their masks and be real. Now, there's timing. There's a place and a time to be more real and less real, of course. You know, I'm not standing up here clicking off all the sins I've done. That would be inappropriate. But there are places where I'm able, because there's a value for authenticity here, I'm able to do what the Bible tells me to do as a follower of Jesus, to confess my sins one to another so that the Lord can heal me. When authenticity and honesty is valued, God brings freedom. Who do you know that needs to be free? And not pretend to be free and not just clean up the outside and not just dress better, talk better, act better, but genuinely be healed down deep, be free. Religion says, I obey and I'm accepted. But Jesus says to us, I'm accepted, so I obey the life that he has for me. It's very, very different. And so we thought, what if we could get together and we could have in rows and in circles around tables conversations where the lies of religion are stripped away and the true thing of life with Jesus is offered. We, we knew we would do it imperfectly. We knew we'd have a lot of false starts. We knew we'd take a few steps forward and a few steps back. But what if consistently... People were welcomed and we had an environment of authenticity and the truth was talked about consistently and we came with humble hearts. What would that look like? Who do you know that needs to be a part of that? So for Jesus then, being a sinner doesn't disqualify you from following him. In fact, that's the prerequisite. There are no perfect people allowed around Jesus, because he's the only perfect one. And being an unbeliever doesn't disqualify you from following him. A lot of people are following, and they're kind of like Thomas, who gets negatively castigated inappropriately in churches. Thomas was the doubter, and he wrestled with faith matters. But he was still in the circle and still following. And the Lord did say to Thomas that, blessed are those who don't have to see, but he doesn't overly correct Thomas because he's wrestling with faith there are a lot of unbelievers at 4c they believe on the core stuff all right i'm trusting jesus sometimes i even wonder if grace is big enough to forgive all my sins sometimes i wonder about various things i read in the bible but i'm trusting and following and around here we have grace for that a lot of grace, because for many of us, that's exactly where we were. And sometimes when we feel like we got it all figured out, something will happen in life and we'll find ourselves wrestling with a new doubt we never knew we had. Like, why did that happen? And that's okay around here. And while it would be odd to talk about it when you're sitting in rows like this around a table where there are other brothers and sisters who know what it is to journey with Jesus, to try to turn away and follow him. What an appropriate place to sit around and have a conversation like that. Who do you know that would benefit from being able to just go, let me just be honest about where I am? And, and what if they didn't have to do that the first time they went? What if they could just sit in a room and watch other people do it for a while? And what if it took six months or a year or two years or five years before they ever really got down and said, I'm going to take the opportunity to talk now and be totally totally vulnerable for the first time? What if it took a long time? We, we decided early on that'd be okay. It'd be okay. It'd be okay if, as if Jesus were to say to Simon and his brother, follow me, and they hadn't gotten to the destination, they were just beginning. And in Peter's case, it takes a long time before he ever steps up, Simon's case, it takes a long time before he ever steps up and becomes the man of God that we talk about and celebrate today. He starts as a guy who constantly puts his foot in his mouth. And what if we have people like that? And what if we said, it's okay, you get to be a part of us. So let me give you a couple of, uh, couple of basic statements before we talk about four stages of following Jesus. The first one is, is being an unbeliever doesn't disqualify you. Being a sinner doesn't disqualify you. He simply wants you to let him lead That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. He's leading, I'm second, right? At best, I'm second. He's in charge. So following Jesus then almost always begins with an unbeliever taking one small but significant step. One small but significant step. For Simon Peter and his brother, it was laying down their nets and turning and literally taking the first step away from fishing careers to following a rabbi. That first step, how bold. I I don't want to overplay it, but I'm reminded of that first step taken on the moon landing, right? One giant step for mankind. Small step, one giant step. That's what it's like. So around here... We call it a bold step because it doesn't matter if you think it's bold. It matters if it's a big deal to that person to memorize a scripture or commit to pray a prayer or join a small group or volunteer to serve in a ministry team or hold a door, whatever it is. Sometimes we quantify them in our room here. Other times they do it out there. Sometimes somebody just around a table suggests something and somebody gets up and tries it. And that small, inconvenient step becomes the beginning of a journey or the renewal of a journey or they were kind of following Jesus they were veering off but one small step turns them in a different direction and over time that small step has huge implications you may not see it for a while but the fruit of a small step goes a long way when I think about people following Jesus I tend to think about it in four stages see if you can put yourself in one of these see if this isn't true about your own journey the first stage often is kind of looking, learning, uh, looking, listening, and learning. Looking, listening, and learning. This is where you kind of come in, and you're just looking around, and you're you're listening to stuff maybe you don't even go to church, but somebody invites you into their small group, and you're just hearing these people be relatively authentic and encouraging and constantly calling out the good in one another, both the good that they see and the good people aspire to. And then when they pray, it's not all highfalutin, memorized stuff that only insiders can do. It's down-to-earth conversations to somebody who, at least they believe, cares about them. So they watch it, and they, learn, they, they, they listen, and they begin to learn something about the environment in which these things are happening. It's okay to be honest. It's okay to be real. It's okay to not be perfect. It's okay to have questions. It's okay to press through. It's okay to wonder. It, it, it's okay to be disappointed. It's okay. doesn't mean you have to give up on God. In fact, those things can be the very things that propel you to move forward and move further in. So there's this listening and learning stage. Number two, when people begin to follow Jesus, they often take a small, inconvenient, but one more time, significant step. That's why in the room next week when we have guests here, I'm going to try to get them to commit with next step C to attend each week of the message series we're going to launch. So we're doing this kind of football thing because, you know, I'm all about the sports. So, this is called Sacrifice for Jesus, friends, that's what this is. But I know a lot of people are, so I'm going to talk about, you know, the guys on the field and blah, 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 and since I can't talk much about it, I'm going to have some video clips to do the work for me, right? That's how that's going to work. Now, I'm just using that because, you know, we connect. People connect on that stuff, right? And I know this, that um, when a family comes, often the wife leans in early, But the real challenge is getting a man's heart. And so we're going to kind of lean in that way. I'm going to ask you ladies to be gracious with us. You may love sports. That's awesome. Uh, Those men like me who don't particularly care, be gracious. And let's see what God does as we kind of start talking about this stuff. But really, we're talking about the most important thing that can ever be discussed. Somebody's purpose and identity in Christ and where they're going to spend eternity. So we're going to try to get them to take a small step. And some of them will check the box and they won't come. And that's okay. Doesn't mean the step that they wanted to take when they sat here and felt stirred is invalid. It just means they didn't follow through. And others will take it, and they will. That happens all the time. And some will come for all the weeks, and it'll be the beginning of a dramatic movement towards Jesus. And others will come once or twice, and it will be a sputtering start. But it's a start. For others, they'll re-engage. Number three, here's what often happens is, well, this is what I'm praying for you, perhaps, I'm certainly praying it for me, is that people begin to allow Jesus to do more in one area of their life, one area of their life. So the idea of Jesus being the leader of all areas, that's overwhelming, but in the journey towards Jesus, it often begins with one area. For some people, it's their area of addiction, or their area of pain or fear. Sometimes it's opportunity. It's what they want, it's their purpose. Sometimes it has to do with money and marriage and kids, relationships. So we talk about all those things here. And we ask people in a small way to give up that one area, control of that one area, and see what it would look like if Jesus led that one area of their life. And that one area, when Jesus is involved, becomes a watershed moment for them. It becomes, you know, the touchstone for them. For the rest of their journey on this earth, they're going to be challenged by the Holy Spirit to let the Lord deal with some area, and they're going to remember a time they did it, and it was good, and God brought good. The journey may not have always been fun, or in, or, or, or 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 the kind of thing they would choose each step of the way, but they saw God over time do something awesome as they gave up one area, and it allows them number four to begin surrendering their surrendering their all the pieces of their life, all the pieces of their life to him, which is what he wants. So one more time, religion has taught people change, and you can join us, but Jesus says, join us and you'll change. I want to run pretty quickly through a handful of things uh, that I think should motivate you to invite people you care about to be a part of this church, especially if they live within about 20-minute drive cycle of here, all right? And if not, you can have them tune in online because there are good churches all over the city, really. And there are good churches all over the world, all over our country. Let me tell you a couple things that make this place special. The reason I love you and I love doing it with you. Now, number one, and these are not in your message notes, but I'll have them up here on the screen for you. If you want to take a few notes, if people say, what's your church like? This is bedrock for us. All right? We don't tailor the content of our messages for unchurched people. Like, we're not going to compromise here. But we are going to try to tailor their experience so as they're confronted sometimes with information that they don't know what to do with, it's hard to digest, they know that it's a safe place to do that in. We believe the gospel is powerful, but if you dilute the gospel, it loses its power. So we don't compromise the word of God around here. We don't lower the standard in hopes that more people will come in. In fact, just the opposite happens. You may get more people at first, but the power of God is at work in the gospel. The scripture reveals the power of God. So if the scriptures aren't valued, the power of God's not there. And eventually, if people aren't being changed, they leave. That's so what we want is the power of God on display in a loving environment. Number two, we hope to make people as comfortable as possible in our church environments. And then we want to help them to understand the uncompromised gospel. Get comfortable, feel welcomed, we love you. Now consider a dangerous message. That's the idea. It's what I have to do every week when I prepare a message for you. For the Lord to really work in a message, I have to let the Holy Spirit work in me on the content I'm going to bring to you. It's dangerous for me each time. Part of what we're going to do over the next series has some relationship elements in it, and so you should just start praying for my wife now. Because whatever I have to preach on marriage and stuff, it's like whatever's going on, like, we're dealing with it too. right? So when I get to parenting, the good news is most of my kids are gone They're like, yay, we get to sit back and watch now. Dad's not processing it all live with us, all right? But the truth is, is that the gospel does confront. It's a stumbling block for a lot of people. So we don't want us to be a stumbling block. We want to get rid of us and let the gospel do the gospel work. Number three, welcome and worship and word. That equals the win. We want a warm Welcome. We want worship where people are engaged and turning their eyes up toward Jesus. And we want the word of God delivered in an uncompromised, clear way. And for us, that's a win. Other churches define wins other ways. Good for them. We don't care. We're not having that debate. This is how we do it. If people feel welcomed, if the worship gets people to turn their eyes up towards our heavenly Father who is good and they can see his light, and if the word of God is preached in an uncompromising way, we win all day long. We can do this for the next 2,000 years, should the Lord Terry, And he'll still always use those same elements to bring people to him. So we regularly sacrifice our style of preference for the opportunity to begin a conversation and be heard. So there are some topics that when I deal with them, I deal with them in as sensitive a way as possible. We don't avoid them. We do it carefully. We take our time so that people can engage the conversation and not be put off because we're too fast or too stilted in our words. So, number five, we're come as you are, church, but we're not a lead as you are, church. If you lead around here, we hold you to a higher standard uncompromisingly. uh, Leaders have a higher standard in the church, and we're also not a stay as you are, church. We believe the gospel says come to Jesus as you are, but he loves you too much to leave you where you are. He actually has a destiny for you, and we want to push ourselves and others in that direction. Number six, we believe that kids begging their parents to go to church beats parents begging their kids to go to church all day long. So when people walk in here, we hope that they wonder, my goodness, I wonder how much money they spent on their kids' space here. And by the way, when you leave service today, you can walk out and kind of go down towards our kids' space and see the half-finished new student space that you paid for at Easter that's almost done. We want parents to go, oh, my goodness, I wonder how much money they spent on student ministry around here. We actually want them to ask that question. Because those are our values. We value students. We value kids. We value adults. And the reason we do that is we believe that when a kid begs their parents to go to church, when a student wants to go to church, even the parents to go, that beats all day long anything else. And so we invest our resources, our time, and most of all, we invest our most precious resource, which is incredible leaders who will love students and love kids. It's a big deal for us. Number seven, we believe everybody can find a spot on the team and begin making a difference right away. Even if they don't believe in Jesus, they can hold the door and say, welcome. They can. Now they have to brush their teeth and, you know, look generally presentable. There are some standards, right? But they don't have to believe what we believe. Number eight, we want to provide a well-lit pathway towards for development as a disciple. So very simply, we want people to get real. We want people to do love. And we want people to do it here and now. So you walked by perhaps the sign Real Love Now. It's not a slogan for us. Number nine, we want to honor the family and marriage, and we love kids and students. And number 10, we're generous with our time, money, emotions, and words. I want to ask you one more time. Who do you know that would enjoy being surrounded by people who like them and are for them? And I'd love for you to take that card that was on your seat when you came in and use that card to invite people to be here next week. Who knows? but what God might use a food truck rally to begin an incredible journey where they turn away and turn towards him. And I want to tell you, if you think you have a heart for these people, your kids, your grandkids, uh, your neighbor, your co-workers, your friends, you think you have a heart for them, you have no idea your heavenly father's heart for them. But God has chosen in this world to use you and me to extend his love and his invitation to other people. That's how he's chosen to do it. And we've said at our church a few times a year we're going to leverage everything we have to make that happen. And that's now. The irony is it's our 15th anniversary. But no, week, next week, no celebration really of us. It's all about our guests. It's all about the food. It's all about the beginning and the launch of a message series. It's all about what Jesus wants to do in them and for them. That's the whole reason we started. And I want to ask you boldly to get on board with that. You do it very simply. You make a specific ask of a specific person by name to come be with you at Food Truck Rally. So go ahead and post on Facebook in general, be my guest. I'm gonna do that, but that's not what I'm talking about. Use instant messenger, use Facebook messenger, use Instagram, use email, use the phone, use in person. I would like you to come have lunch with me next Sunday. I go to first service. Come with me. We'll eat lunch after. Maybe you buy their lunch. You don't want to spend that kind of money. Maybe you buy them a dessert. We're going to have the crepes guy here. It's like five bucks, six bucks for a crepe. Maybe you say, look, I'll buy you a dessert if you come have lunch with me. Invite a specific person who has a name that you know, and you make a specific invite to that one person. Do the others as well. Share our videos and all that stuff, but make a specific invite. And who knows but what God might not use that to start an incredible journey for them. All right, so why don't you grab out your Connect card, and let's take a couple steps together. It's a congregation, all right? So just like I'm going to do next week, I'm going to give you right now a chance to take next step A. That says, today I'm making Jesus my Savior and Lord. You don't yet have a relationship with Jesus. I want to ask you to change that today. And in a big way, repent, turn towards him. And you can't do that by your own strength. You can't be good enough. So Jesus did the work for you. And in fact, you're asked in the Bible to trust the work Jesus did for you. Not your own work. Trust the work he did on the cross and in his resurrection as the vehicle by which you can have a relationship with your heavenly father. When you trust in that, the Bible says that you will be born again. You'll get a fresh start. It's a new day. We'd ask you to take your pen and check next step A. It says, today I'm making Jesus my savior and Lord. And put that in the offering bucket when it comes by in a moment. And then bow your head with me in a second and pray. And then do some business with God. All right, our next step B, I want to be baptized. Our next baptisms are October 13th or December 8th. It's another great day to invite friends and family as they see us celebrate the journey of one person. And often people can imagine us celebrating them when they see us celebrating somebody else. But if you want to be baptized, um, check the box. All right, next step C says, um, I have a story of how God used 4C to impact my life in a meaningful way. Send me a reminder and I'll share some of it with you. So what this step does is if you check it, we're going to send you a little reminder that you took this step and then we're going to ask you sometime in the next five to seven days to send us two or three sentences or a paragraph of how God used this church to change your life in a positive way. We want to share some of those stories only with your permission, of course. So If you share with us, it'll be private. If we want to use them, we'll ask permission. We want to share some of those stories with a handful of people who need to hear some practical examples of how God has used this church to change their lives. And we need your help to do that. And then next step D says, I'll invite somebody for uh, the food truck rally to join me. And if you want to write in that person's name, I'll add it to my prayer list. I've enjoyed praying for the people that you wrote last week. It's been meaningful to me. We'll pray for those as well. And the next step E says, sign me up for the small group. That was the number. You just translate it over to next step B. Put it in the offering bucket, and our team will be in touch with you. All right? So want you... Set that aside right now. And I want to give you a chance to invest financially in this church. There are some folks who are coming forward to receive your offering right now. And I thought about this. I thought about the folks that are coming um, next week. And how that uh, long before they got here, somebody bought a seat for them. You realize that? That if you were a guest here sometime in the, in the last seven years, that before you showed up, people who were already here, put money in an offering envelope or online, and they bought a seat for you to sit in. These seats were $42 each. I remember that because we had to buy a lot. It was painful. It was painful. I'm cheap. I am. I like nice things, and I'm cheap. It's a real difficult life. But people in our church paid for seats so you could sit in it. And when people come next week, there's going to be coffee that's already been paid for. We didn't buy that stuff on credit, hoping that they're given the offering and pay for it. It's already paid for because you did that. There's going to be snacks in kids' ministry. We're going to be real close to finishing a brand new student space. you got to see it. you got to go by and see it. God's going to do great things. God's going to do great things in that space. It all happens because not only have you prayed and served, but you gave. So thank you. It's not wasted. And next week, if you call this church home and you volunteer and you pray or you give, next week you get what I like to call a Paycheck. It won't be money, but you'll get to see some of the fruit of the work you've been contributing to, and I think you'll agree with me—it's not wasted. It's not wasted. Thank you. Let's pray about our next steps in our offering right now. Father, thank you so much for Jesus, God. I want to thank you that in one way or another, you say to all of us, "Follow me." God, I pray that we would follow you first of all. And whatever we're holding on to, we'd let you lead. I pray that you would lead us this week into having conversations with specific people by name and inviting them to be with us at the food truck rally. God, I pray that you would make this place to be a place where our welcome is deep and genuine and our encouragement is frequent and it is life-giving to people. I pray, Lord, that you would build a family here that people would say, I wanna be a part of that. I pray, Lord, you would use us to do it. And now, Father, would you take our offerings and our next steps? and Would you use them for your glory? I lift up the men and women that are declaring, Jesus, save me. Wash away my sins. I trust the work you did for me on the cross and in your resurrection. I trust in that alone to save me. And I ask, Father, that next week you would give us souls for your kingdom that men and women, boys and girls and students would turn away from any other lie and turn towards the truth whose name is Jesus. We ask this all in the name of Jesus, the strong and holy Son of God. Amen and amen.